0: By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybetemidrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program.
1: Speaking about this afternoon is cloning and embryo research. Um, And the entire topic of cloning is something um, that is quite large. There are a lot of different techniques and and with varying purposes. And for this um, discussion today, we are going to mostly be speaking about the area of cloning where the goal is to produce a genetic copy of an organism or where there's partial cloning um, of a person's organ or tissue for therapeutic purposes. So first, let's talk about what is cloning. And I know you have your pamphlets are are with a lot of um, Jewish legal detail, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a a science background before um, before we begin. Um, The process of producing an exact copy of a single gene, other DNA segment, or an entire cell or complete organism. That's the definition of cloning. Um, And there are basically three categories of cloning. Um, There's gene cloning, also called DNA cloning. It creates copies of genes or segments of DNA. There's reproductive cloning, which makes duplicates of whole animals. There's therapeutic cloning, which creates embryonic stem cells, which are used to create tissues that can repair or replace damaged tissues. For the purposes of today, we're mostly going to be speaking about the last two. But I did want you, because we're talking about cloning, just to actually know a little bit about gene cloning, because it's really outstanding in terms of a lot of the work that's been done. And when you talk about genetic engineering, um, this is what we're talking about. Where a genetic engineer will extract DNA from an organism and then use enzymes to break the bonds between nucleotides, the basic building blocks, really, of DNA, and snip the strand into gene-sized pieces. And then they're combined with genes, and they're transferred into a living bacteria. And these bacteria are allowed to grow into colonies and be studied. And when they've located an area of interest, that's where they excise that piece, and they insert it back into, um, into um, another, it, it, they transfer it into a new organism and it changes it genetically. Um, so I'm going to give you some slides to kind of demonstrate what that looks like, where they've taken the plasma and they've extracted it and then they put it into, you know, they really excise it and they put it into the gene of interest. And then, then that's how people have, you know, ways in which you can produce really nice, fruit or nice, like here's an example where you have a plant cell and you want beautiful petals and you want to make them even more beautiful. So what you could do is you could extract the gene that you like, the DNA you like, and then you input it back into the, once you locate it, you can put it back into um, the cell. Um, And that's DNA cloning in a nutshell, which is um, not doing it justice, but for the purpose of the halachic information, we're really going to talk about the last two today. And by the way, for the first one, of course, that's permissible with halacha. Um, All the amazing scientific research that's out there is um, being utilized, and it's um, an incredible scientific feat, certainly for agriculture um, and for diseases. Um, So that's something that um, deserves a lot more time than I'm giving it. So the 21st anniversary of Dolly the Sheep is February 22nd. Um, so it's really good time that I'm here. Um, we could celebrate her together. Um, Dr. Ian Wilmot, if you remember, um, he and his colleagues um, at the Roslyn Institute in Scotland announced the birth of a lamb named Dolly um, through the cloning of a mature, regular cell, not a gamete, not a sex cell, but a ga- from a mature cell by means of implanting its genetic material into an egg, the nucleus that had been removed. This type of cloning is known as somatic cell transfer, or reproductive cloning. This is where you, make you, where you can reproduce an entire animal, an entire species. And the way it works is you remove a mature somatic cell, any cell except for a reproductive cell from an organism, and transfer that DNA into an egg cell that has its own DNA removed. Then the egg is jump-started chemically. It's basically zapped to start the reproductive process. Finally, the egg is implanted into the uterus of a female of the same species as the egg. And the mother gives birth to an animal that has the same genetic makeup as animals that donated the somatic cell. And this is basically what happened. This is how Dolly came about. Um, they removed one, the, there's the sheep's udder that had, um, that really used um, the genetic material of another species of that animal, and it was put in, it was f- put into the donor nucleus, and then that was fused together with electric shock. That's how they get that nucleus in there. And then they used another. Um, maternal source, and that's how they were able to clone a sheep. And that's these are other examples. What was interesting was traditional embryology tells us that each embryonic cell could develop into a complete organism. In other words, each of a person's original embryonic cells can become any of the 200 cell types in the body, which make up the body's various organs, like the heart, liver, or nerves. But once, no one really thought that you could actually take material and put it into a mature cell, and, utter, and then actually reinsert that into an udder, and then actually allow it to come about. But it did. It did grow. Now, I, I want to be honest about it. She, Dolly, represented a revolution in the area of scientific thought, because now, um, with an udder of a six-year-old you, that through that udder, that cell, they were able to produce a full organism. Now, but there's something that we need to talk about when we talk about this. And if there are any questions of the science, I'll, I'll take that afterwards, because I know that I'm doing this pretty quickly. But what happens is normally you have differentiation of cells, where you start with an embryo, and then that develops, like one little, egg, one little cell can become anything, right? And then it develops and develops and develops, right? And it, the more it develops, the more it differentiates. And it says, OK, you're going to go into the blood category, and you're going to go into the skeletal category, and you're going to go here. But what they did is they had a mature adult cell of an, an udder, and they were able to actually produce a whole new human, well, not human being, a whole new sheep. And that was unbelievable. But I should say that even with this, the success rate for this procedure was, was very low. Out of 227 eggs that they fertilized, only 30 commenced to the first stage of division. And out of them, only nine actually caused pregnancy in a surrogacy, U, And then only one of those fetuses, Dolly, reached maturity. Um, and I have to say also, um, Dolly didn't live out her maximum life, also. Dolly, basically, uh, the type of ewe that Dolly was, she was a dorsal fin sheep, normally they live 11 to 12 years. Um, but she only lived six years. And what was interesting was because the, the cell, the house cell, ended up being six years old, because it was a six year old udder cell. That itself already went through some experiences in life, six years of experience, right? And then that is why half of her life expectancy occurred, which was interesting. Because then they saw there are some flaws to this. Because if you're going to use other mature cells, you probably want to use some cells that are a little bit um, less uh, advanced in the world, so to speak. Um, And by the way, not only that, um, she had been suffering from lung cancer and she had crippling arthritis. So she was definitely like early-aged um, in that way. And so they saw that the technique, and it says something about this technique, that it's not foolproof, that there's a danger involved um, when you're involved in the cloning process. And that's something, when we're going to talk about some of the halakhic issues, that's something that we need to consider when we see how this was, um, how this was advancing. The next thing that I want to talk about, these are just some other examples if you want to see how They're still trying to work on different kinds of cloning. So therapeutic cloning is so interesting now. And we're not talking about stem cell research today. What I did do was I gave you a lot of sources in the back about embryonic research, because that's gonna involve this a lot. We're not gonna have time to really focus on that today, but I wanted you to see some of the sources on that. Um, if you have time at the end of the day. Um, but the goal here of therapeutic cloning is to produce a healthy copy of a six per- sick person's tissue or organ for transplant. So it works in a similar way to reproductive cloning, what we saw with Dolly. But instead of inserting the embryo into a surrogate mother, its cells are used to grow stem cells. Who here has ever heard of stem cells? Stem cell, so what, what is it about a stem cell that it's the hot topic? Um, And, by the way, you should just know, um, and I know I'm being taped, but a little politics here. Um, When Clinton was president, we had a lot of stem cell development. Then eight years of the Bush presidency, because of the embryonic concern, which you can look at some of the concerns, uh, although halacha has a different take than the Catholic Church, a lot of those embryos was discarded and out went a lot of... um, embryonic research, stem cell research. And after that, we had eight years of Obama, which worked really nicely for us. Um, but, and now, quite frankly, things are not so bad. Stem cell research is still advancing. But one country that really does an outstanding job of developing stem cell research, anyone know what country is the leader in stem cell research? Israel, actually, is the leader in stem cell research in spinal research. Um, China also is doing pretty great um, but, and they're actually working together on many things, so that is correct. Korea has done a lot of work. Um, but stem cell research is really important and they're important here with therapeutic cloning. Why? These stem cells, if I insert, the, if I clone this DNA material like I did for Dolly, but instead of putting in an udder, but I'm putting in an embryonic cell, depending on where I am an embryonic cell, there's something called totipotent or unipotent, um, where if it's been, the more differentiated it is, the more the cell will go there. Anyone saw that picture of um, the mouse with an ear on its back? So that's differentiated. Um, and so if that's really done through therapeutic cloning. Um, but what can emerge from therapeutic cloning is really unbelievable. What you could do is you can take that patient donor cell, a host site, right? And you can grow cells, embryonic stem cells. And the more stem cells you have, the more you can send those stem cells, which could differentiate and grow as well. So we're talking spinal cells, neural cells, cells that are not as differentiated. You put that back into a person or into a blood or for cancer cells, healthier cells, then what you have is you could actually have cures for cancer, for Parkinson's disease, for a lot of different um, um, cell types, um, spin- spinal cord injuries, Alzheimer's. And this is what we're looking for. And therapeutic cloning, it's not cloning an entire person. It's actually cloning cells that you find that can actually grow and develop beyond. Um, and this is probably one of the most promising and exciting things um, that we have. Um, in in science now. There are a few more other things that are out there. This was a recent breakthrough in 2013 where you didn't need to be fertilized with the sperm. The embryo didn't need to be fertilized with the sperm. They could do other things with electric pulses. These are some interesting um, um, different research that people are playing with. But ultimately, um, what we're looking at, and I think what we're gonna talk about benefits in a moment, I think we're talking about tremendous breakthrough for diseases um, and for infertility, um, and that's really going to be the focus of our halachic discussion. So with some of that science on the side, and I'm sure there's still not a lot that needs to be clarified, um, I wanna talk about some of the benefits of cloning, then some of the ethical, ethical implications here that ethicists are very concerned about, and then some of the halachic issues, which will take the remainder of our time. So the medical benefits of cloning, probably the greatest that I mentioned, is, wow, I can clone an entire human being. And what that means is that's sometimes scary, like what we saw with Dolly, but it also means that I could potentially clone body parts. And if I can clone body parts, um, organ donation, this past week in my show, we spoke about Parsha Truma, which is a wonderful week to talk about organ donation, I say this also with tremendous respect with Rev. Shmuley, who donated his kidney. Um, they are scarce resources, organs. And if we can find, and even people who receive organs, they have to undergo tremendous immunosuppressive therapy um, to allow them not to have rejection. But if someone could clone their own body part, and then they could actually utilize that, if we talk about blood. Blood's already being utilized, by the way. But if we do with blood, and. And 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 organs. What you end up having is no rejection, and you end up having real potential. um, uh, Some some of the uh, some of the possible solutions for um, scarcity of resources that we have. Um. Do you mean in separate or in a whole body? Ah, great. So when we talk about it, we talk about really actually growing. A person can grow a body part using their cell structure, and in the proper environment, be able to actually grow a kidney or to grow a heart, and that's what they're working on now. Not in their own body. You extract the cell, and you can actually grow it out. Okay, but not as a whole person. No, but having that right, and if you can mimic the environment of what it grew in, then you have something that has your cell, your blood type. Um, your immuno um, characteristics to really be able this, this is very big, and they have done some transplants as a result of that actually um, some of the some they 've done certain trachea and they 've done other kinds of specific transplants to a person 's body uh, it 's actually been when people are have a certain bloodline that 's the same or people have um, certain immuno um, uh, um, traits that are similar. But to have your own inserted into your own body, um, that could be quite promising. So that's a huge um, benefit. Um, but benefits versus the problems. How do you see some problems? I'm going to ask you. Um, this is a great bunch. So we're going we're to ask you, what do you see some of the ethicists are having um, a little bit of difficulty with the cloning issue? Um, so what do you see of some of the problems of cloning that people might? Mention. I want to say deferring with the cycle of life, first of all. Good. And sometimes when you do do that, um, clearly it's not the natural process, right? The, you're quickening the pace or you're zapping it, you know, not in a natural environment. That could be something. And what we see is that while they want to respond in the affirmative, um, the concern of what does it mean to prolong a life? What about eugenics? I mean, not even a century later, right, we remember what the Nazis did um, when they tried to, you know, pare down, right, um, individuals, right? And, and we want to have an Aryan population, right? And what could happen if we could say, you know, we want to excise this and make this, and let's, let's, a couple wants to have a baby, so I'm going to have the perfect, you know, the smartest, you know, and we become also a society of very similar type-minded people, very similar looking people. Um, That as a society is really, as a social concern, is quite problematic. Um, And that's why you'll have ethicists who are very much against um, cloning. Another problem, let's say you have someone not only because of eugenics, but let's say you have someone who's evil, like a Saddam Hussein, or someone like a Hitler, you right? You have someone like that. So what are you going to do with them? Like someone wants to clone themselves, and then you end up having these, you know, evil, uh, evil item, uh, replications running around. Um, and also, you had mentioned um, the issue of prolonging life and morbidity, mortality rates, and when they go up, to what extent, like what other kinds of concerns are we going to have to deal with, um, with people extending their lives in that way, with other health concerns like we saw that Dolly had. Um, Also, um, there's a danger of creating a black market, um, and this is an issue of justice, um, where people who have positive characteristics are sold to potential parents desiring children with these traits. And also it becomes the haves, have, have have-nots. You have compensation issues. Um, One of the halakhic issues that we're going to be looking at, but this is clearly one of the concerns of, of ethicists, what about fatherhood and motherhood? Who's going to be the mom? Who's going to be the dad? You already saw, when you saw dolly, to make a dolly, you had genetic material from one girl, right? girl sheep, female sheep. Put into an utter of another, right? And then into, oh, who's the mom? Who's the dad? Um, so, so you're shifting, I think you're shifting from um, life, uh, how do you say, expenses to quality of life. The quality because of life. I think, and then and then comes the question about what is quality of life. Like, if if everybody can live to one hundred and twenty, and now we need to talk, what is quality of life? No. Are they going to be able to uh, things like, you know, gender. Right, so we don't know. And then if you're able to clone certain parts of your body, right, and then you can put other parts in, and then everyone's going to be like the bionic man, if people remember that, like, right? Um, so what does that mean for this world? Um, and finally, if people decide to start having kids through cloning, um, which is some of the concerns that some of the ethicists have, What about intimacy? What about intimate relationships? What's going to happen to that? If it's just going to become a factory, what are we going to say about those kind of opportunities? So we want to make sure that the beauties of society are preserved. Okay. So let's start talking halacha. So what do they have to say about, um, so about, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but in your source sheet, and I, I do want to say that for time purposes, I'm not going to be reading every source. There are some sources we're going to read. Um, but some of them I, I am going to skip over. Um, but please look through it and definitely question me if you think that I misspoke or um, you think that it should be read differently. I love to have different perspectives here. Um, so we're going to start about the idea of when new Halachic when new um, ideas certainly in medicine um, come forward. Is there a potential for abuse? Um, And the Jewish response concerning science and its innovations is proceed with caution, accept scientific developments, but do it with scrutiny. Okay, there's also a notion that anything that we don't know is not allowed doesn't mean that it's forbidden. And this comes from a well-known source of Rav Yisrael Lifshitz. He's known as the Tiferet Yisrael, um, a very important 18th to 19th century um, Danzig Rav. And it's on your source one. Shacol davar shalone da tam losro Mutarhu mutar Anything we don't know a reason to prohibit, it's permissible without a reason. So we proceed with scientific research. And as he says, the Torah only mentions things that are not allowed. Um, but I don't know, cloning was not something that we really thought about earlier on. Uh, what was that Tolstoy book? Uh, even, uh, well, Frankenstein we can talk about. Um, but uh, that's, you know, so don't assume um, that it's forbidden just because it, it's not something that we have in the Torah. Um, consequently, our challenge gonna to be to look at cloning and decide whether the actual procedure, the idea maybe not be forbidden, but maybe the actual procedure, um, the results of these procedures, maybe the possible consequences of these procedures, maybe some transgressions will be involved. So we have to, we can't just say, yeah, it's not written, so sure, it's allowed. That's not what we do. But for now, the concept It's not stated. So let's examine it further. There's another halakhic question that comes up. So these are some of them that we're going to be examining. What does cloning do in terms of the mitzvah of prorvil, of procreation? And this is, by the way, a very similar question, a little different, we'll see, than IVF, in vitro fertilization, or IUI, right, when you do those um, fertility treatments. But it's going to be a question of, did I fulfill my obligation? Is this cloned person considered a human being, a halachic human being? Let's say I don't know who the father is. Like, What is their status? What is the mother's status? Can cloning or person or animal be construed, if I'm involved in the, the research process, can it be viewed as kishuf? Kishuf is witchcraft. Am I actually taking something and, like, magically doing something? Have I changed nature by producing something through cloning? And finally, does it interfere in my faith in the creator of the world? God is my partner in creation here. Is there something that I have done
0: Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybetemidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning.
1: Human cloning is the creation of a human being other than means of traditional intercourse. So the Torah teaches us in Source 2, the Gemara teaches us, Shishlashtan There are three involved in the creation of a human being. Shlosha Hein There are three. Who are they? Hakkarosh God, the Aviv, his father, right? The emo. Right? If cloning was a means of reproductive method, if it becomes something that we're involved in, is this still a partnership with God? There's no proof that the rabbis were stipulating from this that it means there's an obligation to procreate via the sexual act. There's no proof of that when they say this. So, still maybe, this statement holds true, that I could still say that we're all involved the mother, the father, maybe the genetic material of the father, and God, if we're doing cloning. And from the halakhic point of view, there could exist a preference for cloning over other fertility methods, since there's no need to collect um, um, sperm for for donation. I, I don't know how much you have looked into some of the fertility treatments, but fertility treatments involve it, it's not viewed as because it's purposeful, but most post schemes say that. Some don't, and most say that it's permissible. But you have to extract the sperm, and then and how do they extract the sperm? It's not done through a method that we, so some will argue actually this would be a preferred method because you don't have to extract the sperm. You can actually just use the genetic material, and that actually could be preferable. Um, if we look at source five, there's an interesting story in the Gemara. Um Anyone ever hear of a goylem? Maybe you heard of the Marl of Frog. So this is an interesting story. It's very odd. It goes as follows. Anyone like to read? Um, you have it on your seat. Maybe it'll get us going a little bit. Anyone like to read the source? You can read it in English. I translated the sources. Please. Anyone? No? Okay. I can read, but... You get me. <laughs> Please read. Yes. Rabbi created a
0: man, a sent his creation before Rabbi Zerah. Rabbi Zerah would speak to him but he would not reply. Rabbi said to him, you were created by one of the members of the group, one of the sages. Return to your dust." It's one story. Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Oshaya, would sit every Shabbat and engage in the study of Sefer and And a third-born calf,
1: Iglatilta, would be created for them. This is a very odd two pieces together. So what happened here? This is like one of those, what are they doing, right? So Rava and Rabbi right? Rava created a golem. And he did it using whatever blah, 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 blah he did. Now this is problematic. And I gave you a source. Look at source 8. Um, where clearly, uh, well, I'll, I'll, we'll do source 8 in a minute, but the golem was created, it was sent back to the dust, because where was the fusing of, God, of a mother and a father? This can't exist. A goylem can't exist. That can't be. But what about this other one? So Rashi, if you look on source 8, he would engage. He said, "Rav Kanina, would engage in the study of halachot of creation." And so, what were they trying to do if they were engaging in the... What, what did it inspire them to do? Say for Yetzira? What did it inspire them to do? Maybe, imitatio dei. Let's try to create. Let's try. You know, God lets us create human beings by you know, uh, uh, you know, a sexual relationship. So. Let's try to see if we can combine it in a different way because God used words when God created. So let's create this third born. I have no idea what it would have looked like. Um, they were combining the letters of God's name and there was no sorcery. Now here, now it implies, the Gemara here, because it's right after the other story, that there was some kind of kishuf involved. There was some kind of sorcery involved in the goylem. But in here, they were invoking God's name Different from what Ravah did. Like, that's why Rabbi Rab- 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 got rid of the goilam. But here, what did you do? There's no sorcery, right? Because you invoke God's name. <laughs> and not only that, they would enjoy it, they would eat it. So it was probably kosher. I don't know how they posit it. Like they, there are actually some issues. Okay, <laughs> whatever, that's fine. But God was involved. What Ravah creates, however, was a goilam. And it's interesting actually, um, I gave you these sources and I would love to look, ah, let's just take a quick look. Um, hmm, such a good source. In source 12, just along the lines of what we're talking about, I, I gave you some other sources. Midrash Shmuel, um, and, and I'll say it in English. Once Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Akiva were walking in the streets of Yerushalayim and another person was with them. Because I'm going to ask you, how far do we take this? How far do we take this partnership with God, you know? And God tells us to, you know, prove vu. But then, there are other times in this world when there are things that we need to involve ourselves. Do we view it as witchcraft? No. Sometimes, like when you have to heal someone. So let's look what happens. A certain man was ill, approached him and said, my masters, tell me, how can I become healed? They said to him, do such and such, and you will be healed. He asked, but who struck me with this illness? They replied, it was God. He said, then you're not involving yourself in something which is not your business? After all, God struck me with this illness, and now you're healing me? Are you not contradicting his will? They asked him, what is your occupation? He answered, I'm a laborer of the soil. See, I'm carrying my sight. They asked him, who created the vine? He answered, God. They said, are you not then involving yourself in something which is not your business? God created it and you cut down its fruit. He said to them, do you not see the scythe in my hand? Were it not for my plowing and cutting down and fertilizing and weeding, nothing would grow. They answered, foolish man, by virtue of the nature of your work, you should know that what it is written. Man's days are like the harvest, right? Just as a plant in ground that is not weeded and fertilized and plowed cannot grow. And if it grows but has no water and is not fertilized, it cannot live and it will die. So it is with the body. The fertilizer, in this case, is the drugs and medications. And the farmer here is the doctor. He said, then, please don't punish me. I don't know what they would punish. I mean, he already has an illness. But anyway, um, that is an important piece when we're talking about rapo y rape. When we learn that God, and that's in source, um, in source four, where it's sorry, in source in source three, when it says rapoya <laughs> rape, it says, Here we're interfering in nature. You know, we're talking about cloning individuals and um developing interfering in God's world. What do we do with with healing? And how does Rashi understand that? Source four. Our attitude should not be that God made him ill and the doctor is doing the opposite and healing him. We have a partnership with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. We're involved with God. And that is different than when we say, I'm totally um, creating something and, and undermining the beautiful natural source of God. OK. Now, one more thing about why the golem was different. Um, than like a cloning situation. So, one way to understand the golem is that the reason that a golem doesn't have a, first, a full status of a human being and may be killed, actually, um, if you look in the source that I gave you from the Chacham Tzvi, the way he understands the golem is that actually the golem can be killed. The golem can't marry. The golem can't count as a minion. The golem can't do any of those things. And the reason that the golem is allowed to do that, that, that we don't treat them with full human rights, is because this golem was never really a part of another body. It was something, poof, brought into form. And we understand that that's an important thing because we learn in Brashit. Shopech dam ha'adam adam damo yishopech, ki b'tzelem elokim adam. Whoever sheds the, sheds the blood of man within man, also understood by man, his blood should be shed. So the idea is that a person has to kind of be within a body to be able um, to be considered a human being. Now, cloning, when we saw Dali, Dali was cloned within another, within another body. So, one cannot claim that that is an issue like a golem. And anyone who'd be cloned, just halakhically, again, this is totally theoretically, that person couldn't be viewed as a full fledged human being with full rights um, reserved to them. OK. So, now what about purview? So, the question of parenthood and biology. Um, is a question of a Jewish pair, a Jewish father, mother. We have these same issues with IVF. Is the person, um, what's the status of that person? There's a question whether or not you don't know the status of someone's father if they are viewed as something called a shtuki. And I'm gonna ask you to look at um, the case of a shtuki in oh, there is the one that I wanted to give you um, in source um, 11. Here the case is that a shtuki, someone whose father's um, father's status is unknown, um, is of, of concern because we have that with IVF and with you know insemination. Can it be halachically? Can a woman who's married, a Jewish woman who's married, take another man's Jewish man's sperm, and is she what we call like an ish, Is she committing adultery? It's a question that comes. Most halachic leaders will say that because it's the DNA, it's their genetic material, and it's not a sperm itself, so the act of adultery has not taken place. However, to have another Jewish man, it's kind of like Pasnish. It's kind of odd. So they say it's not viewed as the same in adultery with a non-Jewish person. So you need to know a little bit what the genetic material comes from. And so the question that's raised by the Chalkat Mecho cake is what happens if when there's semen that's donated, what happens in the sexual act? You don't know if it was in a bathhouse or something like that. What happens if their status is unknown? Or a woman, unfortunately, is raped. Or there's a, a case of a, 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 of, a, of a woman who produces a child and we don't know who the father is. So there's a problem with that child marrying. Why? Because you don't know if that person marries. You don't know if you're marrying that person's other child. And there could be potential mamzerut um, root going on there. So what about the status here of, and here's a case when you're going to read it, is about a shtuki. And that person can't marry other people. So when you're talking about shtuki, this is different. Because you're not actually taking another person's DNA. A woman who clones her own material, it's her material. There is no paternal DNA there. And therefore, this child cannot be viewed as a Shtuki. Why? Because it's not the same thing. It's not that they knew that there was another person there, right, another man involved. But this is a case where you had her own genetic material. So then the, so then the question that some of the modern day posting will ask, OK, so it's her own genetic material, but someone had to contribute. The Y chromosome, or the X from the male. So who is that? You. So so the question is right. And mother I mean? and fa- so is the mother the mother and the father, because right. it's her genetic material. That's one question. She's not a, the kid's not a shtuki. We know the kid's not a shtuki. How do we know? Because we know there was no father involved. But is the mother considered a mother and father? Halakhically, we're not willing to go there to say that she has a status of mother-in-father. She's a mother. So who contributed the male kind of grosses you have to think about it? It's the grandfather. So the grandfather, it's kind of odd, right? So is the grandfather, which doesn't make sense. Why doesn't it make sense? Who can kind of play it out why you don't think it's the grandfather? because the contribution of the sperm or the genetic material has to be genetically linked, lead directly to the existence of the child. And that's why we're saying that the grandfather is not in that status. Meaning like, if a woman clones, if you have genetic material from a woman, it's crazy, right? Because where does the male, where does the X from the male come from? Right, You need an X and an X or an X and a Y right, to produce a child. So where does that come from? So even if you get the genetic material from a man, right, and then you put it in, right? So uh, the question of whether or not you say that that's the father, some will say it's not the father because it's genetic material, different question. But So the question was maybe the grandfather is the father of the child. And why is not? Not because. The way we understand it, there has to be a direct um, contribution to the development of that to the existence of that child and the reason that child there's no direct involvement in the creation of that new life he already did his part to create one life and that produced many cells that cell right was taken revamped right and now is creating yet another life and so there is the for that what, the answer, what this is a halakhic answer Scientifically, I would say it's the grandfather. Halakhically, we will say no. And we will say that there, in this case of cloning, there is no Halakhic father for this child. Um, and again, but we don't call this, like when we looked at the shtuki source, we do not call this a shtuki because the genetic information is completely known. We know where it comes from. Now. One more question, Um, and and again, because there's no outside male involved. What happens, like how can the father ever be? So some will argue that the father can never be. um, the, the, The male genetic material can never be from the father. Some will argue that. Some will argue that it can be. How? If there's a direct, if it comes from a sperm cell. So if it comes from a sperm cell, where you can say that the mother had an environment. right? So that's the maternal. So some will say, if it's a sperm cell, there are those who'll say um, that he's considered, um, that this child is considered um, father, ha- having a father. But it's very questionable. And this also happens, by the way, and I'm throwing an IVF again. This is a major concern in IVF. And a lot of the postking, like the Tzitz Eliezer, Rav Eliezer Waldenberg, there's a big debate between Rav Eliezer Waldenberg and, and Rabbi Bleich and Rav Sheilat. and there are a lot of de- in Malo, he's a Rav in Malo El-Dunin, who say what is the Serav Tzitz Eliezer He died, I think, around 2010, 2009. But the, there's there's a, a big debate: what is the status of this child? And that is a concern um, in Halacha. We want to know who the child belongs to. Not only if the kid's a Kohen, a Levi, a Yisrael. Not only if the child is Jewish. I mean, with the mother, if it's a Jewish mother, right? For issues of conversion. But we like there to be identity. And we also want there to be identity because people should know their progeny. OK. Um, so in terms of purvu, um, has the person fulfilled, if we say that someone doesn't have a father, then have they fulfilled their obligations? So now I'm going to step on a soapbox for a moment. And I do want to say one thing. Yes, it's true that there's a machloka, there's a disagreement between IVF, um, whether or not a person who produces a child with IVF or not, whether or not they're full-blown parents and they have, they've procreated in accordance to fulfilling the mitzvah in halacha. Yes, because it wasn't through a sexual act. But many postings say they are. They are full-fledged parents. Some will say the father is not um, and doesn't fulfill his obligation. Um, What about cloning? Some will say he doesn't fulfill his obligation. But then there are those post-game who say that anyone who raises a child, and when we're asking these questions of purview, and even if this is nothing to do with cloning right now, I need to just say that anyone who raises a child, um, uh, and uh, there there are beautiful Mamre Rabbanin, that are written when they talk about how raising a child is truly what's giving life to that child. You're educating the child. You're feeding the child. You're clothing the child. You're giving that child life. That child can't exist without you helping them, certainly when they're at the very, very early stages of their life. And some will even argue, even if someone's not beyond adoption, and when people say that they can't have children with IVF and those concerns and it's so expensive. So I always urge people, have you considered... I know that people want to have their own genetic child, and I appreciate that. At the same time, think about what we could do in terms of adoption to actually demonstrate to people that la halacha, puravu, can be um, accomplished through adoption as well um, and even when people are doing incredible things like foster care that also um, can fulfill that obligation of caring and growing and raising a child
0: if, if, if the sperm donor is the husband of, of the mother
1: is that great question so it's a question it's a it's what we call a, a really good right it's a it's a real good disagreement some will say is what gives someone, I us say biological father, is it the genetic material? Or is it the sperm itself that allows someone to become fatherhood status? So in the maternal environment, right, that's easy. You have mitochondrial DNA that the woman gives when she carries the baby to term, and you could also have her maternal DNA, right? So let's say they get a surrogate child, a parent, uh, and both mother and father they have their genetic material, but it's carried by, a, by someone else. Kind of the way Dolly was. Right? Well, Dolly said. But when you do that, so some will say that that's not purview for the parents because the genetic, genetic material was, was, was um, fused together, but not through the sexual act. So purvu, some will argue purview needs to be done through the sexual act. And some will say no. It doesn't need to be. Um, it's, it's the genetic material. And some will say it doesn't even need that. It needs to be if you raise this child, you raise this child, and you take care of the child. I actually had a Shaila recently. There was someone whose parent didn't even adopt them. It was a second, it was a second marriage of a parent, and the father passed away. And so I told her that she wanted to sit shiva. Would that be? And so there are different opinions. I mean, obviously, for uh, it should be an obvious thing for people if they raise and they clothe and they paid for um, paid for the schooling. And she called him Tati, right? Like that's what she called him, you know. So that's her father. So she should sit shiva. The question of Avadi and what she has to—that's a separation. It's really very personal. But I said she should tear kriya, and I said that she should sit shiva with her family because there were other children that came out of the second marriage. But that's a very important thing that people should really okay. Um, and the question again is now getting to what does it mean sociologically? when you start having a family where it's not done through a sexual act. And it's not, what does it do to the status of a relationship? And that's very concerning. So people like Rabbi Bleich and Rav Sheilat who would say that, um, Rav Sheilat for sure, that the child does have a father and a mother. He would say cloning would be permissible, what we say you could do it. Someone can not go through IVF, they should definitely be able to do it. But he says it should be through a couple. There was a case that came to the Israeli Supreme Court a little bit ago. Maybe you've heard of it. I don't, I don't know how much it made the press. But it was an interesting case. And this is where you see church and state sometimes do um, The Jewish courts got involved a little bit. But there was a case where there was a man who was in a coma Maybe people heard it. there was a man in a cuba, and they had extracted the eggs, right, and the sperm. And they wanted to be able to do IVF, right? And so the, the courts were very upset about that. They didn't want that done. Why? Because they said it should be raised in a household with the father and mother, l'chad like optimally. That gets a little tricky now. And she, all she wanted, and he, was, he unfortunately passed away. But the idea was they had planned. Um, and and some people thought that the courts should have ruled in their favor because this was something they had planned when he was alive w- w- before he went into a coma, and so that's what she wanted. She wanted to have a family. They said L-chat-hila. like optimally, you don't begin a family that way. But if, if, if it was extracted before, that's the. And they had Gam, he said something right. They, she, Clearly, they were planning that, it for. Yeah. No, but. I so mean, so if he, if he, yeah. If, if, and I want to say personally, I was disappointed with the verdict. And I'll tell you why. Because I think nowadays and you have people, and I, and I know people who have undergone IVF and wanted to have a child and they haven't found that person in their life, but it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to have a family and a loving, and, and, and I appreciate the slippery slope of not having, and it's hard to be a single parent. And I appreciate why we want to maintain that family structure and that seems to be the ideal. But at the same time, you have people who want to be able to have this kind of and you have something like cloning. And Rav Shaylat says, though, however, you only do this with a couple. You don't do it privately. But we'll see, just like what happened with IVF. Cloning has not been perfected yet. But we will see what actually ends up um, occurring. So finally, um, I want to just conclude with some of the issues about faith in God. Um, And I know I skipped over a lot of sources, and I apologize. I'm just going straight through. Um, The question of what's the role of the creator of the world and how we see ourselves vis-a-vis participating or thinking that we can improve a world that God has given us. Um, And this question has come up a great deal, Um, that you have an embryo There's a natural process. People are now involved in IVF and cloning. And to what extent are we going to extend life, like what you had mentioned before, Shira? You're going to extend the life of someone, even beyond what God deemed a normal lifespan. Who do we think we are that we can engage in such process? Only the creator of the world should be involved in this. I also think it's our perspective. What does that mean by our faith? I think when we look at, and this is me talking, right? I think when we look at the world that God has given us, really to work it, to cultivate it, going back to that source where we saw that man who was working the vineyard. And there is potential within God's world to create a, a world that really just sees and grows and utilizes all the beautiful things that God has given us, what is our job and role to play? I think about this because we're in Shmot now and we're in the Mishkan, but a few weeks ago we read about Kriyat Yamsuf. The Ramban has a beautiful idea about what Israel saw on Yamsuf and their perception of God. And he says the following. I will now state a general principle which lies at the foundation of many mitzvot. When God performs a miracle in the sight of a desirable collective or individual, a miracle which will affect a change in the laws of nature, these false attitudes of faith will be disproved in the clearest way. For the miracle demonstrates God's mastery over the world, his creation of it, and his knowledge of and involvement in its affairs. A person who experiences miracles is able to see the most powerful way that God exists. You know, when you see a splitting of the Red Sea, you saw a people who began to see their their nationhood, and that was critical for them to see the omnipotence of God. I think this applies to science as well. Rather than viewing cloning Solely as an in undesirable interference in nature, halacha understands that although we're not permitted to gratuitously subvert nature, we're obligated to help build and help perfect the world in any way that will perfect humankind. In fact, these actions facilitate a positive, I believe, partnership with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we collaborate together. And it's a testament rather than a lack of faith in God. I see it as a testament. Anytime we have these incredible medical advancements, it's a testament of God's greatness within nature, that we can look at these new technological discoveries, that a person with a spinal injury can actually get up and it could be reversed, where they can walk again. You know, when we taught he should surely be healed, what we're thinking about, is the potential for this world, for opportunities, for organs, or for healing diseases, and to alleviate suffering. And from the Jewish perspective, it is important to maintain social order. And these are competing values. But at the same time, we can tell from the in- information that's available for us today that the process does not involve a danger of Mam Zerut. It's therefore reasonable that we can possibly find a way of alleviating the halakhic obstacles. And like what we started with, with what the Tiferet Yisrael said, where something is not clearly prohibited, and we see a very clear benefit. Let's think about ways in which we can actually celebrate some of these advancements when it's for the good of the world. I see these as hopeful. And I see that we can fully appreciate God's world when you look at what science is doing nowadays, Marabuma Secha Hashem, how beautiful is your world, God? Thank you. Any questions? Do we have any questions? Did I? I don't, yeah, please, please, please. I love the, the final speech, right? But uh, to what extent? I think this is the question. Is there like, if you needed to kind of put a roof. Mm. What is uh, morally allowed or even allowed, allowed to do? Uh, is it, are we allowed just to fix human bodies or are we allowed to create a new okay. life? Okay, so great. So and it goes with IDF, and it goes with derogate, and it uh, goes with... Uh, I think it's a great question, and I think it's still debated. So you might not like my answer. But the Shavus Yaakov, Rav Yaakov Reicher, once said when engaging in experimental medication, for example. You want rapo, you rape. You want to be able to heal, right? And it was quoted by the I remember it's a great, he said and but what he was talking about is, he quoted these Gemaras which talk about if you see that there's a potential for extending life, or you see there's a potential for really exploring deeper into what possibly could be um, for healing, then we go for it. You're right that this could be dangerous. There's, there's a suffake. There's a real doubt whether or not this could be something that, you know, I mean, you see those movies. They freak you out, people marching out right there. They're identical. Where is the, right, so that's why ethics Comes into play. We need to have regulation without a doubt. What is the reason for it? How is it being produced, right? And I think there's also a way, there's nature versus nurture. So when you create these new embryos, um, perhaps there's a way in which we fuse these embryos together. We make sure that there's a life outside which is not just eugenics, right? That we don't get rid of someone just because this person has, you know, we want to extract a Down syndrome gene, or we want to make sure to extract, um, you know, you know, um, other types of um, difficulties. But if we're talking about cancer, to eradicate cancer, to eradicate Tay Sachs, real suffering, to eradicate cystic fibrosis, if possible, where you know, where you know that people are suffering greatly. Um, we're not talking about curly hair versus blonde hair versus straight hair. We're not talking about Female that. Male. Female and no, male. So China. One reason when you were saying China, China is very involved in that project. Like, like, how do we produce more? You're right. That's a huge ethical concern. And with all these medical advancements of IVF, of organ donation, thank God in the '60s when this was coming out, what ended up happening were ethical panels, bioethics panels. And and that's wonderful because then people have to really debate how do we make sure that this is controlled and that we don't become a society of one type of thinking of one you know, you know, um, phenotype and genotype and everyone's the same. We don't want that. And we also want to say that this should not be something a lachhila and after it should be something after the fact, after you're suffering with this. How can science help us? And so talking about cloning today is not that, okay. yeah, let's all go clone ourselves. It's not about that. What it's about is these are some possibilities that can help. And what's more interesting to ethicists is the therapeutic piece. Because then you can really clone specific items, (coughs) specific organs or tissues, which could really help save people's lives. And for those couples who are having a really hard time with IVF and they want something, and it could be a little bit more possible, they would like to be able to consider these options, all with great regulation. And Shira, you're right. I think you're right. It's, it needs safety measures. But I still think it's something which could help make our world a better place.